I'm Sean McCormick, and this is Optimal Performance. The mind is not a bad thing, but it is what holds us back. And I think nature is a doorway to open that. Nature is like another form of psychedelics. It just opens that door, good or bad. Like I'm either going to be an alcoholic that just ruins my life, or it's going to go another way. Didn't know what the way was. Whoa, right? That everyone is Jason Rosander. He's the outdoor goon on all social medias. And if you are a fan of David Goggins running, pushing their bodies to the limit while talking about universal wisdom, deep psychology, philosophy, and mysticism and spirituality, this is your podcast. You're going to dig this. So Jason was a veteran, a formal federal law enforcement officer, a trainer. He's a mountain athlete. And there's just something about going out and running and being immersive in nature and finding yourself and having a lot of information to bring back to the community. And that's what this episode is all about. In this episode, we talk about how your thoughts may be real, but they may not be true. We talk about nature as a gateway to understanding yourself and your reality. We talk about anti-gurus and why making the choice not to be miserable might be the most important choice you ever make super fascinating episode. Jason is an incredible person. He thinks very deeply about the world. And uh, for a guy who has seen a lot, mother got murdered while he was deployed in Afghanistan. He's experienced more in this life than I think a lot of folks. And he's got a lot of ideas on how to live your life optimally. Uh, Hope you enjoy this episode. You can find him at jasonrosander.com. And uh, this is going to be a great episode. So don't miss it. Ladies and gentlemen, Jason Rosander. And we're here with Jason Rosander. He's the author of Your Mind is a Prison. He's also the outdoor goon. So you can find him just by typing that in. Jason, welcome to the Optimal Performance Podcast. Yep. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, I'm excited to dive in. Let's just start with the sort of transition because your background and your professional history is 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 pretty fascinating. How do you go from military federal enforcement officer to hippie looking outdoors (laughs) philosopher doing selfie videos uh in the hills tell me about how that happened well i was in that work for a good amount of years i i started when i was around 17 or 18 like joined the military i wasn't active in that the whole time but i did that for about six years and then applied to be um a federal law enforcement officer for DHS and did that. And I mean, that's glossing over it, but really do did that. And then I got out and I was doing contract work for um, like uh, for people around here and more security based management and then into some other uh, more protection based jobs. But really, I mean, the short version is I think ever since I was younger, I had, I mean, you probably had this, a lot of people that I interact with have where I had something going on in the back of my mind that was like, I don't know if this is necessarily the most uh, optimal route. I mean, those jobs, that's why I wrote the book and really wreak havoc on your physical system, your mental system. And it was good work. I liked doing it while I was doing it. I got hurt near the end and it made me question a lot of things, which ultimately led to the book. So that's sort of where the transition came. Got hurt, started thinking. And at that time, when I was slowly transitioning out of that work, I was actually living in the Blue Ridge Mountains on the East Coast on acreage, literally on top of a hill. Um overlooking like you could see 200 miles from my porch like it was everything you think of the green east coast Appalachians and I just remember sitting there one day and thinking you know something's wrong like this is not how you're supposed to live which is what we see nowadays right the stress cycle the nonstop um, fear anger especially in that work and depression, anxiety, um, all these things we see. And I started getting into philosophy. You could say I started how everyone does, psycho, you know, psychology, philosophy, start going down the rabbit holes. And one day, this was years ago at this point, was reading a book, 
uh, wasn't even a spiritual book. It was a book. It was a science book about um, experiments they couldn't explain. It's just a random like 200 page book, a dollar on Kindle. They were talking about the stuff you hear about, like the double slit experiment and these, you know, things they just can't explain. And I was in this big leather chair looking out the window and I was like, everything I know or thought I knew or how I'm living is wrong. Like that was really the transition because they're writing this whole book about science and all this hardcore, rigid, linear stuff, and they can't explain any of it. And I'm thinking something is just off here. And that transition more into the mental stuff and the spiritual stuff. And that was really when it started. And then I started, um, you know, putting together the book and doing my own, what do we want to call it? Path, you know, and uh, that's really where the transition took place. And from there it's turned into here. Um, so yeah, that, that was the long winded version of that. Mm. Well, this is a podcast, so there's no such thing as long winded. <laughs> perfect. We, we don't go three hours like Rogan, but yeah, yeah. This, that was perfect. You know, some of the most inspiring content that I see online involves being outside, doing things that are hard and talking about universal truths, you know, I think yeah. about you know, Rich Roll, David Goggins, uh, I could name a bunch of names, but th that sort of mentality around like, hey, I'm out here. While I'm out here, I'm thinking, I have this idea, this thing comes to me, I want to share it with the world. And your content, and I think a lot of the best content is so essential, fundamental, it's so simple but we yeah, just lose yeah. sight of it. And I, I'm, I wonder about what do you think is the connection between, you know, immersion in nature and the understanding or understanding that happens when you are, uh, when you are doing things that are fully immersive like that. Yeah. And I should have said that after I, you know, transitioned into this realm, if you want to call it that there was always a bug in my head also. So there was two things. It was the mind. My my path, as you want to call it, that would be very much through the mind. I found out in nature that the mind is not a bad thing, but it is what holds us back. And I think nature is a doorway to open that. And when I was up in the Blue Ridge, I was in nature all the time. I was doing that stuff, not as much as now. But it was always there in the background. There was like this scratch that was like, hey, you know, you're going to find the answers to this because I was not a happy person at that time. I was so different than I am now. But I knew that I could find it out there. And they have mountains out there and the outdoors are not like where they are, you know, where I am now. But the connection, I think, and in my last YouTube video, I think it was literally the last one I made, I mentioned this where it's hard to worry about your bills when you're at 14,000 feet or 13,000 or doing, you know, long distance running. It actually does hit a point where the mind does not have, I would say, the capacity to be chirping all the time. It's not, you know, especially if you do bigger climbs where maybe there's some rock climbing at the top and it actually, you know, is exposed and, you know, you're, it, the survival system of the mind sort of flips on itself because it's like, hey, I can't sit here and think about, you know, what's happening at my house or whatever. And I think when that gap is built in nature, because you're just in nature and you could argue there's not as much, there's obviously traffic going through the air, but there's not as much cell phone. There's not as much electronics where you actually are open a little more. And it opens the door because there's no other options out there. And that's what I've noticed, you know, on the East coast, they have big mountains, but here they're real big and it's a whole, I mean, it's like you're on top of the moon, you know, and when you're out there sometimes and when that happens, this knot that we create mentally from our programming and our just, you know, society and everything 
it automatically becomes broken. It breaks up. And if you can notice that, then it's a whole different beast. Because if you go into nature and you're not doing the inner work as we could call it, you're going to feel it, but you're not going to know what you're feeling. And when you do know, it's that's when everything changes. I mean, I've had moments, um, you know, on mountains. I could think of one. I had this mountain out here that I did all the time, and I was starting off and learning more mountaineering. And I remember sitting, coming over this crest. I don't know, it was like 11,000 feet, maybe 10,800. And I just said, I'm just going to sit here for a second. Like, we don't ever do that in society, right? Just stop. So I said, I'm just going to sit here. And it was like sandy. And I sat down, my feet are in the ground, the sun's blasting on me. I could see like ants crawling around, the trees are moving. And it was what people report where I had, you know, basically a moment and where I just thought everything around here is alive. And I'm right in the middle of it. You know, like some of these, some of the better teachers say, you know, this is it this is it right here. What we were doing in the moment is it. So I think nature allows that door to open, especially if it's cracked, you know, for some of us, we're already like kind of searching through, you know, nature's like another form of psychedelics. It just opens that door. Um, so yeah, I think that's what it does. I think it's a gateway really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's tough to, it's tough to worry about, minutia when your yeah. next step has to be just right and the yeah. step after that has to be just right and the step and the next mile needs to be very focused and mm -hmm. and i think that it's there's just uh it, there's so much value in in going out for a half a day or a day or doing an overnight and and fully committing to this to this experience and and when you do and you realize that you are your your perception your sense of self your presence of mind you're you're right it does it does break from netflix and mortgages and your kids teacher and you know the war in ukraine i mean it's just like no i'm i'm here with the ants and the trees and the wind and the sun yeah. And that is good. I, I'm. Th this is this is what I need. And I think it even goes further than that, right? It goes. It it, it even extends to, um, like jujitsu, something that is so immersive. Yoga, meditation, these things where it, it's like you you cannot easily shift your attention back to the little bullshit details in your life because yeah. you're you're gonna get choked or you're gonna fall out of this pose. Um. What you mentioned teachers and and I, I know you to be a, a deep thinker and, and um a a follower of, of philosophy. What are some of the philosophical or mystical sort of teachers and texts that you really resonate with? Well, I think what I'm in this I look at the people that I take seriously now are more of the anti-gurus, you could call them like the UG Krishnamurtis, the guys that everybody hates because they can sound, there's another guy, Kapil Gupta, who's actually an MD, and I'll tell you about that book in a second, but these guys are looked at as almost pessimistic because they're just telling you how it is directly, and it's hard for people to hear, and early on, when I started down this path where I thought, well, I'm not happy. I'm essentially miserable. I'm angry. I live in fear, which I was made to live in fear. That was part of the, you know, professions. Um, you know, my mom was murdered when I was in Afghanistan. So I came back from that and jumped right into more fear, more anger, more pain. So when you read, when you're in that space and you read certain books, like the people I mentioned, it can be difficult. I wouldn't necessarily recommend that for like the initial onslaught of basically ripping the program apart and saying, oh man, like I need, you know, life is meant to be better than it is. Um, in the beginning, one of the books that... <sighs> for some reason that really, I would say probably shifted. It was the Kabbalion. Um, 
it's was written by the three initiates it's called it, it you know the authors are out there but they're real names but that book i can remember driving around so i had this sort of moment reading the science books in the chair thinking an option to not be miserable like that exists is something more out there it could be spiritual it could be esoteric philosophy whatever and i found that book i don't know how um and what that book showed me it's about hermetic philosophy it showed me that there were options so there essentially there was a line in the book talking about how like the masters you know can freely play on the mental plane. So it's all these neat words. But what they're saying is that there's a such thing as, you know, the pendulum swinging day by day with all our bullshit, but then rising above that, sort of transcending that by noticing that. And that was a key point, understanding. That was something that I, I didn't grasp. It took me years to grasp it. And then I read a book by um, called Atman by Kapil Gupta. And he, there's a lot, there's a few lines in the book about the mind. And he basically is saying over and over that the only way that you fix quote unquote, transcend, get through a problem, um, pain, depression, all these things, fear, anger is by understanding the mechanism and ultimately letting it go. You know, I, I don't do, I'm not so much into using these words of change and just take one thing and move it to something else. You ultimately need to know the foundation, like a Jenga game where you just pull the, you know, stone out or the wood out of the bottom and the whole thing crumbles. You don't have enough time to go through all our trauma and all this. And in that book, he made a comment it was a question and answer format. And the person said, well, how am I supposed to get off this rabbit wheel? You know, the ups and downs, the happy, the sad, the external identification. And he said, by understanding the sine wave for what it is, and then choosing not to play it anymore. And I just thought that was like, I mean, it just blew me away. Because what these people are saying is there is an option to not be miserable. And that's what I would say to the people listening is, you have to be in a place to receive it. You know, nature can open that door. But when you dive deep enough into some of these texts, the answers are there. The problem is, which is why I wrote my book, is it's covered up in the mystical. And I go on rants on Twitter and on social media where I'm like, it's about being in a position to see it, to understand it. And if those things come with it, you know, you open you open your door a little bit and then you go on a mountain and have a mystical experience. That's fine. But that's sort of the after effect. You know, people are putting it in the beginning, trying to do all that, even with psychedelics and thinking they're going to hit some mystical state where they have no thoughts and no mind and they're blissful all the time. It's like, we're here where we do have a body, even though a lot of Eastern teachers say we don't and we're on the field and we have to play. So you know, those authors open, open the door for me with that. And my book was more trying to, when I wrote it, I had somebody reach out to me that I respect kind of like a big name on mine. And he was like, man, he's like, I'm kind of annoyed how you wrote this book. And I said, why? And he's like, because it's spiritually sort of foundational, but you never mention any of that stuff. And I was like, that's on purpose because mm -hmm. it's actually a lot less mystical than we think it is. Um, but those two books really stand out. I've read so many books at this point. I, I couldn't even pick them all out. And I still do. Um, but yeah, those two really stand out for me. Today's episode is brought to you by Bio Pro Plus. I love this stuff. It has made a major change in my life, in my metabolism, in my mood, in my ability to put on lean muscle mass and feel as powerful as I want to feel. BioPro Plus is the faster, easier, and safer non-synthetic alternative to painful, expensive, and invasive anti-aging and hormone treatments. Before you do TRT, before you start taking a bunch of herbs that may not make you feel the way that you want to feel, you should try this. You can go to bioproteintech.com and use the code OPP for $30 off. 
you know, you know that a sponsor is a hit when people who have purchased it reach out to me and say, holy cow, Sean, I tried this and it's amazing. It's blowing my mind. It makes me better at everything that I do. I love having sponsors like this that really make a difference in people's lives. And this product is, it's absolutely incredible. It's growth factors and amino acids that will help you improve your hormones, become better at everything that you want to do. So go to bioproteintech.com and use the code OPP for $30 off. So someone who's listening who says, I like the way that this guy's approaching, you know, sort of the philosophy of life and how to choose the life that you want to live and how to choose your mindset. And you say that the first thing is you have to be able to notice, uh, first mm-hmm. and foremost, these the sine wave, right? You know, these mental loops that we get in, um, the the feeling like you're not living your life, if you're just kind of on autopilot, like so many people feel like. Oh, yeah. So let's go a little bit deeper into how we can be in a position in the right time to be able to notice that stuff and see it for what it is before we decide to choose it. Or we have that moment. Where we're like, all right, I'm going to change my life. Cause I had that moment, you know, I remember oh, yeah. it like it was yesterday. I know, I know exactly the date. I know exactly the time and the conversation I had when I decided that I was going to live my life differently. And, and for people who are interested in that, what, how do you put yourself in a position so that you are, so that you can notice it so that you can be receptive to the the matrix or whatever sort of metaphorical sort of uh, label you want to put on it well sadly for most of us it happens through pain right it happens through bad situations um i can remember when i was told the news about my mom i was well i was in the middle of nowhere at that time and i was staring at the ceiling when they told me and they didn't know what happened but i was staring at the ceiling at, at this like crappy building that was falling apart and i was and i had this you know, that was obviously a traumatic event. And I had this instant thought that said, it's either going this way in my life, or it's going this way, good or bad, like, I'm either going to be an alcoholic that just ruins my life, or it's going to go another way didn't know what the way was, but it's going to go another way. So pain, a lot of the time is going to induce that where we get so sick of playing this mental game that we all play that it switches. Now, if you don't have that, I would say just being open to the fact that, you know, you listen to this podcast and you hear a couple of people that aren't miserable and you say, okay, it's that little seed. So you're the first step would just be open to it. Read the books. I don't know what they're saying. I don't get it. This is stupid. That's fine. But read them, be open to it. Just be open, go take a walk, you know, in the Hills or something. It, it, it's almost like putting yourself perceptively in the position of already being there a little bit. Hey, I know it's possible. These people have been writing about it for thousands of years. So I'm going to, I'm going to feel that a little bit. I'm going to go outside. I'm going to concentrate on the wind blowing and my, you know, every step I take and you're building, you know, the, the cord that you've been tethered to is starting to get weaker and weaker and weaker. And then you do the study. Um, there's a lot of authors out there and and a lot of the Eastern guys don't like this, but I think it's good, you know, write, dissect these things. Don't get lost in it, but write it down. Say, I'm sick of, you know, my dog barks. I'm pissed off. I stub my toe. I'm pissed off. I don't sleep good. The day's ruined. All these programmed things, write that down, start noticing it, start seeing the Mm -hmm. patterns, you know, the first year when I really was, you know, waking up, if however you want to call it, I just remember almost like documenting things like what is going on here? Like this is, and I'm not talking about all the, you know, political stuff. This was internal. This is what is going on with these programs? Why do I feel that this is good or this is bad? You know, I started putting it down and it didn't add up, you know, the evidence our minds realistically are not accurate a lot. And, you know, another guy should, I can't believe I didn't mention this guy, Dr. David Hawkins. He was a guy uh, that I really um, started opening me up. He wrote a book called 
uh, the power verse force that everyone knows. And then the eye of the eye. And that was a good book. He's, he is very mystical, but um, he makes a comment about there's a big difference between caution and fear. So we live in fear 24 seven, when in reality, we should just be cautious of our situation. So you start seeing these things, especially if you're writing and you're like, man, this doesn't add up, you know, my day's ruined because of some external event. But if, uh, you know, if they came to my door and said, you want a million dollars, you would all of a sudden forget that event. And now you're worried about the taxes, the weight of the money in the bag. I mean, it's, you, I just remember putting this together and going, man, this is bullshit. How, how I'm living is not working. So you notice it, you start dissecting it. Now the problem is you could get lost in it. I mean, I must have read 500 books the first year and notes and thousands of on my computer. And I was just spinning, you know, in it, but you have to start somewhere. I mean, well, that that's the reality. <laughs> that's a better, it's a better place to be overanalyzing, asking hard questions, you know, looking like, uh, you know, a crime, you know, investigator with the threads yeah. to pictures on a big bulletin board. Right. Like that to me, that's preferred than numbness and desolation oh, yeah. and, um, automation, you know, and feeling like you don't have agency in your life. I think that that's, that's at least more interesting to me. You know, I really like that idea of writing down just inane things you notice, things you notice about yourself, things you notice about others, maybe the people closest to you in your life. You know, uh, I notice that I get frustrated when my boss says this. Why yep. is that? Why? Yep. Right. Why is that? Maybe it's because, you know, I think he's an idiot. Maybe it's, I, maybe it's because he's right. You know, um, that is a, such a baby, such a practical baby step to begin the process of having an awareness of how you see yourself and how you live your life and what your mentality does in sort of your default mode, right? We, there, we know that this thing called the default mode network exists. And this is basically like, this is like your like default setting in your brain when yeah. you're not when you're not being exposed to a thousand things when you sort of set a little bit like are you sort of naturally negative all the time are you anxious all the time are you uh, are you lonely and dark and macabre all the time like you have a default mode and we know that the default mode network can be influenced through flotation therapy meditation psychedelics you know even um, you know, elongated exercise, ecstatic dance, like these are all things that sort of turn down the volume on this, like, I'm so stupid. I'll never love anybody. I'll, you know, I'll never make the money that I think I deserve. And when you quiet that down by doing this baby step of noticing little things, just being honest with yourself is such a, such a cool idea. I, I really like that. Yeah, there's a guy, this reminds me his name. It's not his real name. He wrote books. Once again, everyone hates him. His name's Jed McKenna, and he has a process called spiritual autolysis, he calls it. And the entire process is write things down and try to find truth in it. Because you can't 99% of the time, which is sort of a negative process, like, you know, um, what do they call it in the East? Like a netty netty where you're writing this stuff down. Let's say all the things you just said, I'm this, I'm that. I just, da, da, da. but then at the end you go, okay, what about this is true. What in here is true. You can't say you're a piece of shit or you should, what is actually evidence-based truth. that isn't just thoughts. And you'll sit there and you'll go, well, I can't really find any evidence to this. It's just what I think it's living in thought. And it's a great process. And you're talking about the notebooks. Funny when I, um, at one point that same year, the year it all happened, I would go to the library and I would bring notebooks and it was spider charts. And I still have them just filled up notebooks of circle. Here's the problem here. Okay. Blah. And I would make myself crazy over it, but in the end you drop it all anyway. But 
that's what I did. I was doing what the guy mentioned in the book where I was saying, all right, here's all these things that could happen. I'm so worried. Oh man, I'm living like this pain, all this, but 99% of it doesn't happen. And it's all based in thought. And that's what you see with psychedelics, where when that default mode network slows down, you go, I remember thinking, um, the words that kept popping up were blank slate, you know, like we are a blank slate until this, the thought gets involved. So all these things that we say, I'm not good enough. I'm this, I should have this, blah, blah. Okay. But that's thought that's mm. not, you, you could change it. It might not happen in 20 minutes, but people have to realize, and it's really you know, I ask myself a lot why I'm online, why I do these things. It, it, as you know, doing anything online can just be a drag. It can be like, what am I doing this for? And like, you know, and unlike a lot of people, I'm actually out there living. Like I'm not sitting on these platforms 24 seven, but you start to notice that, um, you know, it's all based in thought. It's all based in mind. And if you were to be given something to help with a mood or whatever, it's not, you know, the drug isn't going out there and fixing the situation. It's fixing your perception of it essentially or numbing it or whatever. So you start to see that and, you know, things become more clear, but you do go through sort of a death process. Um, And, you know, I think the Buddha said that, like he felt like his bones were breaking And I remember feeling that I felt it for a lot of years where it was just painful to think, man, we are so programmed, you know, we grow up in one area and we're this religion or this thing or whatever. And then we're 30 and we're like, okay, my whole life has been based off of this and I'm being tortured by it. And the second you start to unravel that the mind goes bananas, the ego goes bananas Um, and it's, it's a tough process, but like you said, it's either that or automation. And I mean, we got a lot of robots around right now, just zombies walking around with no clue what's going on. And that's fine. Cause you know, who knows, maybe if we all came here before a million other times, we were doing the same thing, but it is a tough process. I mean, it's, it's painful. And I, you know, if I just could randomly print out all the notes I had as we were talking about his writing. Um, and books and I mean, it's just bad, you know, it is painful You're, but what else do you think it's going to be? I mean, this is the process. It's either that or you're a robot. <laughs> That's yeah. really nowadays. Yeah, this like NPC non-player character idea that's, that's getting so popular online, especially on Twitter, you know, anytime, you know, someone like Elon Musk tweets about, you're familiar with non-player character it's like basically a background character in a video game yeah. that they don't they don't do anything they just sort of pop around it's like hurtful you know it's like uh it's 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 really demeaning but that's that's kind of the same thing as like that sort of automated person who's not really thinking for themselves who's not really doing any extra reading they're just going to work coming home spending you know an hour with their kids yeah, existing watching yeah. tv going to bed doing it again exist existing every day yeah and again like i i don't judge i don't judge anybody that lives like that i just i i i wonder i wonder what they if if they could have some some bigger experiences how their how their lives might change and how that uh how might might that ripple through their family and their community if they wanted if they had a little bit uh if they were more inspired and more and and happier I want to go down this little trail with you really quick uh, because something that I've been paying attention to and I've had conversations on this podcast before is about like, and it gives them this ability to push, you know, and, and, and maybe this is, maybe this rings true with you. Maybe it doesn't, but this idea that in order to get to this deeper knowing this deeper understanding and that, downstream of that is excellence in performance excellence in writing and in speaking in athletic performance do you think that your path would be as uh inspired now had you not gone through various traumas 
No, it wouldn't be the same. Um, and I think it's part of that sine wave, you know, where it's like, we're going to have these ups, we're going to have these downs. Can you get back up? You know, that's sort of cliche, but I think that those, you do see that for a lot of successful people, they always have a story. There's something there that just sparked that. Now, you could say that there are some where that doesn't happen. You know, that's sort of the philosopher's stone is like, I'm learning from other people and I just bypass all of that. But if you're on the field and you're playing in life, you're going to have some, some stuff go on. And I think some of it is pretty basic where you've gone through things. So all the other things are like, like, well, this is, this is nothing, you know, I'm going to push, push, push. I think some of it is probably unhealthy, to be honest. It's a fire under your ass because you're mad at the world or the things that have happened to you. Um, but I do think there's a correlation, you know, and the people that I know that have, were real successful, uh, they got it. Every one of them has a story. There's something there. Now, I do think that it eventually hits a point where if you stay on that long enough that your excellence will be more internal where you say well because of the trauma because of the excellence because of this wave i'm now dropping it all you know it's that idea of letting go to get more which is mm. extremely difficult for a lot of people but yeah i think it plays a big part and the other aspect of that is how do we define it because what I've gone through is a lot less than what some others have, but it's a lot more than some have. So we all have this form of pain and trauma, but nowadays it could be, you know, I, I don't know. I put this in the book. I'm like, some people are traumatized by a lot smaller things. So it's like, where's the, the scale? I don't mm -hmm. know, but it does come back to what are you going to do with it? I think the ones that have the awareness to say, man, this was not good. What happened to me? But like I was saying, staring at the ceiling, there is choice here. And I do think some of that might be, I don't mean literally genetic, but it might come with certain people. I feel blessed because I've always had this outlook that they're, things could change. You know, there's, there's some pathway there, there's something there. It's not as easy as have trauma, do this, blah, blah, blah. It's no, there's probably some gray areas in there. I always had that outlook of this could be better. So if somebody has that and they have that fire of experience, trauma, whatever you want to call it. I mean, that's, I hate to say it because trauma is difficult, but that's a win-win situation is if you could see that, you know, because when something traumatic happens, it's a fork in the road and you're picking which way you're going to take, you know, there's members of my family that still have not gotten over my mom. I mean, they're still messed up over it and they haven't, you know, some of them have done you know, they've done psychedelics, they've done things and it just doesn't click that there is a choice. So there is a correlation. It can go both ways. I think it correlates more to people that are aware of the options, honestly. Mm. Mm. Interesting. The, this, this theme of overcoming self-sabotage is just, mm. uh, um, I think such a relevant topic right now for so many people, for so many reasons, when, when, how do you think of, and maybe if you had some tools to share, some ways to think about how each of us can overcome our self-sabotage, um, if you could just take that and riff on it. You know, as always become aware of it, know that there's a choice, but also, and fact check your thoughts. You know, I say that a lot. You know, and the hardest part is like someone has to be aware enough to know to do what you're saying, to know that, you know, and that, but we'll assume that people do. It's more or less slowing down. It's taking stock of the situation and saying, okay, if, you know, default mode network, is this that? Is this thought? Is this, it's really just taking a peek, you know, and inquiring with, is, you know, okay, so, if I wake up every day and I say I could be better at this or on this and I'm self-sabotaging, I'm hurting myself. What I've told people in the past is 
I just sometimes will just swipe it all away and be like, okay, how's that helping you? So if someone's listening to this and they're going through it and they're just all day in their head and being negative, you could say, all right, I wrote this the other day in something, or it may have been to like a friend. And I said, really the pinnacle is noticing that. And even if there's some truth to it, okay, you aren't excelling the way you should. You're not in the physical shape you want to be, et cetera, et cetera. You still, even if there's some truth in that, stop, wipe the plate clean and go, how's this help me? That's what I, I would tell people to do a sort of self-inquiry and say, okay, yeah, all right, that's all true. Great, thanks. How's this help me? And that's like, who? Uh, that was Ramana Maharshi, right? Who am I? That was his self-inquiry. Everyone's becoming enlightened because they said, who am I? What am I? Well, I would take it a step further to people that aren't that far down and say, how does it help you? Well, I do this and I have that. Um, I had a family member that, was going through it hard. They reached out to me and right in the middle of going through it, personal stuff, their dog died. So now they're on the dog dying. And I said, okay, you know, that's, that stinks. I mean, nobody likes that, but how are you gaining anything by now adding something more to the plate when dogs die every day? And so do people. So it's just, I would tell people to just wipe it all and say, great, how's it helping you? You'll sit there, you'll look around, you go, well, it's not helping me at all. And now the cord's starting to cut. It's starting to twist apart. The knot's getting looser and coming apart. Mm. So ask yourself questions, ask back. You know, this gets deeper where who's the one, okay, this is, you know, very Eastern, but who's the one that is self-sabotaging? Ask that question. You can't get an answer. And that's the point. You bring the mind back to a wall where it can't go anywhere. And it says, shit, man, maybe I'm full of shit here. Like it, you got to ask questions. It's fact checking your thoughts. And that's the easiest method and all the other stuff getting outside. Okay, that that's good. But untie that knot a bit by questioning, mm -hmm. you know, get in a quiet place, you know, maybe not meditation, maybe contemplation, a pen and paper and start untying that knot. And then go do those things, breathe, meditate, go outside. So I would say people need to start there. They need to wipe the slate clean and say, hey, that's great. Thank you, mind. Thank you, thoughts for calling me this and that. But how does it help me? That's mm -hmm. what I would do. I love that. Yeah, I have a version of that with my coaching, which is to ask yourself the question, does this serve my highest purpose? Yeah. Right? Like, does this cupcake, does this walk, does this you know, uh, kissing my wife, does this serve my highest purpose? Does talking to my boss, ask my boss for a raise, does this serve my highest purpose? And even if you don't know what your highest purpose is, you'll know pretty quickly when you, when you ask yourself that question, flipping this guy off in traffic that just cut me off, like, does this serve my highest purpose? You're going to get some pretty quick feedback and you're going to train your brain to be looking for things to uh, to assess these opportunities to act in the right way that's for your for your own best benefit and yeah. and and that that involves a certain level of self-reflection like you're talking about it involves a level of self-awareness that is sometimes hard to start because yeah. I am stressed I am tired I am inflamed and so I can't I don't have time to be doing this mumbo jumbo self-talk self-thought stuff like no way man like i gotta get my kids to soccer practice <laughs> you know? yeah no it's it's life you know it's life stuff and that's the ego like i think about uh with you're talking about like flicking somebody off in the car and eventually you get far enough down the path where and and, and i don't mean that as some crazy mystical spiritual thing everyone's path is subjective but you start to think like, so if I'm, you know, I'm human, oh, someone cuts me off reaction. But the farther you go down this hole in yourself, you're like, well, you, you don't even have the motivation to do that. It's not going to disappear necessarily the idea of having a reaction, you know, somebody bumps into you or, you know, cuts you off and you're slamming on the brakes, but eventually the game 
and the system starts to crumble, you know, and that's what you're talking about where you don't have the physical energy to say, I want to react to this. And I bring in this up because you reminded me of it where I have a bunch of notes from years ago where I would just repeat it. And I would say, it, it's like your question. All right. How does this make me feel? So, all right, everything's a mess. Every, okay. But how does it make me feel? It doesn't feel good. Stress, cortisol, inflammation, all these things, you foggy, you can't sleep. So at the end of the day, as I said before, even if it's true, you feel like shit. So why keep doing it? You know, at the base level, take all the philosophy out of it. The next time for someone's listening, if they're in that situation, just say, how does this feel? Does it feel good? No. So why am I doing it? If you need to take action to get out of the situation, that's fine. But at the base foundational level, how does it make you feel? And it's not good. And I dealt with that for years. Like everything in my system was messed up, sleep and all these things. But you start to realize that it's me that's doing this. It's thoughts that are doing this. It's the mind. It's all these things. And you're right. You've got to start asking questions because if you don't ask questions, you're never going to get off the hamster wheel. I mean, it's, it's really a simple. Who, who are your typical followers, readers, fans online? You know, like, do you know who your audience is? What I've noticed recently, which is somewhat surprising is I think I attract people that are, at a bypass. So they've done these things, they've done the mindsets and the mental and they've done this, but they're stuck a little, you know, some of my biggest posts are me going on rants about spirituality and how it's not being, you know, it's big business, it's being sold a certain way. And there's systems upon systems upon systems and spirituality when the whole point is not being in a system. So I think that I'll, I'll make these posts, which, you know, are, are somewhat, they're not controversial, but in the normal pop spirituality, they would be. And people make comments and they'll be like, man, I've been thinking this. So I think it's people that are in a fork in the road and they're like, hey, I've done all this stuff. Like I've read the books, I've changed my mindset and all these things, but I'm still doing it, you know? And my goal, you know, since sort of, being on the downslope of my journey is that, you know, fine. I, I love using the Jenga analogy, find what's at the bottom of all this and pull it out and let the whole thing crumble, find the cornerstone. And it's, it's difficult though, because, you know, I, I took more of the rough path, you know, the writing and the obsession. And I was just really trying to dissect all these things. And a lot of people don't want to do that, but my audience would be people and they like the outdoors, obviously. Um, but I think there are people that are really searching for that final puzzle piece, even though you find out there isn't one, but I think mm -hmm. that's what they're searching for. Yeah. Well, it has to be, there's this, there's this idea of gnosis where you have to experience it for yourself. You can't read it in a book. You can't, yep. you can't, you know, you can't follow a cool guy mountaineering talking about philosophy, you know, that's likely not going to be your light bulb moment where your life shifts, you know? And, yeah. and, and I've said this a number of times, like inspiration doesn't come while you're watching Instagram or Netflix. It doesn't come, uh, at your, at your office desk, you know, it comes from doing something different, doing something hard, doing something novel, exploring flow states where, these, these ideas and thoughts, you know, the, the best ideas that most people have are like in the shower. And the reason is yeah. because you don't have your cell phone on you. You're not, yep. you'd right. You're not, you're, you're, you're relaxed. You're being washed over by negative ions that are coming out of the shower. You're relaxed. You're feeling good. You know, that that's where your best ideas come from. Now take that and extrapolate that out to go doing like, you know, a three day fast or a five day fast or, running your marathon or just going off into nature by yourself or, you know, fill in the blank for opportunities to have these experiences. But you have to, you have to tinker around with this stuff a little bit. Uh, I think a, a lot of folks just become junkies for inspirational material 
you know, inspirational quotes (laughs) without, without getting dirty and getting gnarly and, and uncomfortable. I, I, this is like your wheelhouse. So, you know, doing the work, you know, the, one of the big, it's probably the biggest post I ever had was I said, eventually you're going to have to drop spirituality and a bunch of people hated it, but a lot of people liked it because that very much is that I go off on about that all the time where it becomes a hobby it's a sport it's oh i'm going to this convention and motivational this and the, and the, and i and i look at it and i used to get angry at it now i more or less feel bad because it's just trading one hamster wheel for another where you're saying all right well i'm a spiritual person and my practice will last forever it's like um that wasn't my goal for it to last forever my goal was to live so and to live free you know free from these mental chains that we live in i'm not saying those tools don't work we've all done them i breathe deep every day i contemplate but it's not to meet some end goal it's more or less you're gonna have like you said hawkins said this it's subjective your experience of gnosis or enlightenment or awareness or waking up is going to be subjective. There's no adjudication board that says, oh, he's enlightened because he studied under whoever the hell. That doesn't mean anything. It's are you living? Because this is it. And I live every day and I'm not at the whim of this. Do I have the mental chatter? Yes, but I'm not at the whim of it. And that's the that's the goal of this work. You know, that's the real goal of spirituality. And the good gurus will tell you that they'll say, Oh, you don't need me, but I'll leave some breadcrumbs on the trail that you can see. But yeah, you're not going to find it online. Now you will find it in content in books, but you're not going to be living that you might get a little slap in the face digitally like, Oh, okay, here Mm -hmm. we go. When I made that one post, about spirituality all these people reaching out to me and i thought how many people are really feeling this you know a lot but they're stuck in that well i'll go to this mastermind and this thing and this and and something will happen that will you know turn the help me turn the corner it's like no what's going to help you turn the corner is taking that knowledge turning it into wisdom by living that's Mm -hmm. what's going to do it people don't want to live they want to study I want to live. That was it. I was sick of living in my head all day. And I think for most people, that's what they want. But you're right. It, you're, you may find breadcrumbs, we'll say this, but you're not going to find it online. Mm-hmm. You're just not. Yeah. So. I, I did a I did a podcast with, uh, with a duo uh, who Chase and Mimi, super cool people. We were talking about fitness and and talking about the the pursuit of 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 a fit body being uh being fit feeling strong and why we do it right like what's all this for right is this yeah. and i you know i think of the same thing as like the biohacking stuff like why do i use infrared lights on my balls and hang out in um ice barrels and take you know resveratrol like what's all this for and what Chase was saying, he's like, well, I want to experience fitness. I don't want to get to a finish line of fitness and say, well, here I am. I made it. I'm fit. I have a six pack and I look great. That's not the point. The boy, the point is to experience your life yeah. as a fit person. And, and the more experiencing you do, the more fit you become, you know, the more you go do the thing, the the closer you are into alignment with a fit body and a fit mind and a fit spirit. And it's kind of what I see the similarity of what you're saying yourself is that it's, it's an, it's an immersion into the thing. Right. And, and I see this with other life coaches, both on the internet and whatever is like you, if your life is a total mess, you have no business being a life coach. Right. Yeah. You would think so. Yeah. Right. Yep. Like, yeah. if, you know, like yeah. if, if you can't keep, if you can't keep your household together, if you haven't gone out and experienced thing and failed and failed and failed and course corrected and, you know, then you have no business helping other people do do that. And, and so this immersion into the thing is, is where it's at. 
and and it's not pretty and packaged with a bow. It's it's off it's often scary and unnerving and that's all part of the deal. That's part that's that's part of your experience. Yeah. Yeah, um, I remember feeling that a lot myself where I think what happens is people get on a path, they start learning stuff and they say, oh man, I've got some like knowledge here that's turning into wisdom. So boom, I'm going to be a teacher, a coach, a guide. And they just jump in because they're excited. They want to spread it. Yeah. But are you living it? And there was, you know, when I wrote that book, I held on to it for a while because I said, no, there's some things here that I still feel attached to. And I'm a freaking hypocrite like everyone else if I write this book and I'm not living it. And like I'm writing another one and who knows when that'll come out. But you have to be living this stuff. You know, why the infrared, red, why all this stuff? Well, ultimately we're trying to get back to nature. I mean, that's just the reality. It's all a representation of that. You know, like I started doing the outdoor things with more of the athletic you know, time and how long and, and now I'm just coming back to like show up and go out and it's going to go the way that it goes. You know, it's, that's what we're trying to do really. But you're right about the life coach stuff. It's like, man, you better be, cause you see some stuff online. I know you do where it's like, man, you are not, you could sit in front of your phone and yell and scream and motivation and all this, but you can always see, uh, you recently wrote a blog about a mind virus. Um, mm. I read through that a little bit. I think that you know you and I have connected, connected on connected on Instagram, and so you've seen some of my posts, you know, regarding the narratives of the last couple of years. Um, if if you could maybe just share a couple of key ideas from this idea of the mind virus that you devoted a couple of blog posts to, I just was really I was really impressed by by that, uh, and, and I think it bears repeating. Yeah, I wrote that. I think I wrote that a little while ago and everything was going on. And for me, what I always try to do, and like I said, some people don't like it. That's what I did in the book is I try to remove the emotional aspects. So I won't mention a lot. I'm trying to get people to think, sort of divert themselves from the emotional triggers and get to what it really is. So I'll word things a certain way. That's what I was trying to do in those articles where I think what we've seen in the last few years is fear and how everyone, whether they know it or not, is living in it. Because there's no doubt that there was fearful times during those two years. There, you know, and everything came down and we're like, what the? I mean, bizarre, right? It's just out there. We haven't lived that in a while, but we saw the ones with the most fear. And it could be anyone, your neighbor, the guy down the street, these people are living in fear. And it doesn't matter what the trigger is, the virus, it doesn't matter. It brought out the fact that that's the foundation, that fear is the foundation in everything. You know, it, it's people were, it came out. I think it was, you know, the spot on the armor that wasn't covered. It was like, oh, here it is. And that's what we saw is it, it opened a door to how people are really living. And that's what I was trying to show in there is like, yeah, you've got to be cautious. You know, it's like, you got to be aware of what's going on and there's nuance and this is real and that's okay. But, you know, we're starting to see that we live in a society that is fueled and based in fear. And in reality, I was like that for a lot of years too. And, you know, the mind virus, so to speak, is contagious you know, and it's like, I don't watch TV. I don't watch the news anymore. I literally have no clue what's going on in that realm. And I'll see some stuff in the gym or whatever, but you start to notice that, okay, everyone's living in fear. Everyone is reactive off of what's going on. So they miss everything right now. You know, they miss what's in front of them. And that's also a cliche thing living in the now, but that's really the truth. And that's what it that's what it cracked open. That's what we've seen. And it's still going on now where it's like, you know, I'll, I see it everywhere. I've seen it on mountains at altitude. I've seen it everywhere where people are losing their minds. But, you know, once again, become aware of it. It's easy to see. All you have to do is go outside. But that I think I don't think it created anything. A lot of people think 
that in the last couple of years we're now in this realm. No, we've always been there. It was just hidden. Now mm. we see it. That's all it is. That for anyone to think that just recently this stuff has been wherever it comes from, whatever source, it's like, no, this was just the chink in the armor. And now mm. it's wide open for everyone I try to do with those articles. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really great point that we've just there's there's been rev things revealed, right? That there is there is no such thing as a new normal. There's no such thing as normal. We're ever changing, you know, moment to moment, individually, collectively, societally, globally. Change is just part of the deal. Yep. Uh, and uh, you know, some of the fuckery and some of the narratives and some of the fear are all were, have all been here before. It's just this was really an opportunity for a lot of people to see it in a new way or 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 sort of wake up to it. Yeah, that's 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 helpful. Um, so what what can people what can people expect from the book? You know what what are they what are, what can they look forward to? I would say it's a straightforward approach to living life, and that's why I put it's a book of thoughts because it's really all it is. Is it just like okay, chapter one we're talking about this, chapter two we're talking about mine, chapter three we're talking. I literally just go through all these sections that we live in daily, but we don't notice it. I have I use these really just basic examples where, like, I have a chapter in there where I'm talking about a hole in our roof. And I go through all these things, people freaking out. Oh, God, what's going to happen? What if more rain comes in, a storm, this, that, when the reality is very simple? And that's what I try to do with the book. There is a problem. You either call someone to fix it or fix it yourself and then drop it. You know, I take uh, another thing some people didn't like is I compared the human being to a robot where it's like, well, we're not robots, right? But a robot would respond by becoming aware taking an action, taking something they are going to do, and then go from there. And it's dropped. They're not laying in bed worrying about mm -hmm. another hole in the roof or replacing the roof. So I tried to make the book very straightforward. You're not going to get lost in terms and spiritual and whatever, but the foundation is that as the title suggests, that your mind is either going to be a prison or not. And for most people, and they don't like to admit it, it is a prison. So the book just goes through topics. It's just topics of, okay, this is what we do. This is what we don't do. And a lot of people have liked it, you know, and I get messages randomly here and there. And, you know, people have told me they've left their job that they hate. They've gotten off of drugs or whatever. It just, it can be a spark if you're mm. ready for it. And it's an easy read. I mean, it's a hundred something pages. There's no big words in it, you know, and I, I lived it, you know, I didn't write this because of some huge insight. I wrote it because I lived it. I was miserable for mm. just years and people that have met me recently are like, what the hell, you know, it can help you. It can help you with that fork in the road. Mm. If you're there, it can give you an option, at least from a thinking capacity to say, oh, so there might be a third road, uh, you know, there might be a path down the center instead of right or left. So I, I think it, I think that's what it can do for people can help them. That's great. Well, you know, that's the second time that you've, that you've characterized the this this sort of fork in the road archetype right the, uh the um that's i think that a lot of people are there i mean the great resignation over, over the last year with people you know quitting their jobs um still don't understand that how that works and where that goes uh it's 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 amazing to me the the, the people are ready for change you know the baby boomers are aging such that those sort of ideals are uh are phasing out and the gen x gen y and millennials um who have more connection with technology um who are pretty pompous because of that access to technology we are uh are understanding that there are deeper more meaningful things to think about in their life right uh yeah. rather than you know how tall is Tom Brady, you know, um, like think about these things deeply, think about what you want out of your life, who you are, where you want to go. And if, and if you are, are at a fork, um, sounds like, uh, sounds like Jason's, J 
Jason's content and Jason's book is a good option for you. Where can, where can people go to, uh, to find you online? Oh, this typical social media is uh, what Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, funny thing, TikTok, actually, there's a big section on there that's really involved in this stuff. And I never would have thought it, but you know, like you said, people are looking on YouTube. Um, that's probably where I'm going to start putting more of my time because I go on these adventures and I talk about it and it's, you know, a unique experience, but yeah, basically all the, all the normal social networks find me on there the outdoor goon jason rosander well i have one more question uh, and it's a fill in the blank question and i've asked this this damn question hundreds and hundreds of times and uh this can be you know this was a this was a broad conversation and i love these because there's so many little nuggets that people can go back and listen to and rewind um but this is a fill in the blank question and it can elaborate as much or as little as you want but please fill in the blank Everyone would benefit from knowing that your thoughts may be real, but they're not always true. Um, someone told me that it was a version of that years ago was my first quote unquote real teacher. And that was huge, you know, because if we look at ourselves, the thoughts are real in the sense that they're happening. Things need to be done. There are stressors in our life, but are they true? Are they, can you back them up with evidence? Are they fact-based? Are they really true? And in most cases, they're not. And just knowing that starts to untie the knot. Um, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that saying because we live in our heads all day. So that's what I would tell people. Just take a look, you know? Mm. Awesome. Jason, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I'm, uh, I want to have you back. I want to, there's some other directions I want to go with you into, uh, to make some connections with some of the spiritual truths that I am aware of and, and, and maybe breaking those down a little bit and, and being practical and, and, um, and thoughtful. I think that would be a cool for a round two, but thank you for joining me today on the optimal performance podcast. All right. I appreciate it.